So that's where Nesquik's offering is going to be going. Part of that, right, is in the Christmas gifts for kids and Thanksgiving baskets for families into the, all the stuff that's going to be happening here Friday night. Maybe is that right? Friday night is, what, what time? Do we know? Big, 6 p.m. till 8.30. We're going to be watching Monsters, Inc. too. Is that right? I love that movie. It's fun. Marty Wazowski. So we are going to be enjoying that together and by participating in that offering next week, it goes a long ways. How many of you guys know that, that Christmas is the day when you figure out what you have and what you don't have. The memories that a child will have in adulthood will be of what they, what they have and what they don't have on Christmas Day. And so we want to make sure every parent knows the joy of watching their kid open a basketball and that every parent has the obnoxious sound of a dribbling basketball in the basement for the next six weeks straight because that's, you know, that's part of it. So um, you guys ready for the word today? All right, Father, bless this. Here we go in Jesus' name, amen. So you guys have a purpose. How many of you guys know that? Come on, say amen. You have a purpose. We've been talking about it, how that purpose is a gift. How when God introduces Adam and Eve to each other, Adam doesn't go, what, I got to t- watch your kids now too? What the heck? It's like, oh, there's a responsibility in this relationship, but there's a blessing in this relationship. Same thing's true when, when uh, uh, God leads Adam to the Garden of Eden and goes, hey, this is yours. I want you to tend this. I want you to, to you know, work this and trim that and turn that into Mickey Mouse, that shrub, and you know, harvest the grapes and move the strawberries and find a better place for the rhubarb and figure out how to make pie out of it and all God's people said amen rhubarb pie and and what happens is Adam doesn't go man what a drag he goes I'm glad that I have something meaningful to do that I was created to do to care for my wife to care for my garden in the cool of the day God would come and walk the creator with his creation and they'd hold hands and they'd I mean, this is my this is the King Jim imagination but they hold hands and they walk and they have a conversation how was your day what'd you see today Adam Eve what was your thought when you saw that butterfly what was that when you tasted your first strawberry what what were you imagining because I was thinking something when I created that just for you and they had these conversations that expectation of time was not a burden it wasn't the religious responsibility of good people to meet with God once a day in the cool of the day they never looked at their sundial to find out if the time was almost up they just spent time together. I, this is what I want you to know. Your purpose is not your job. It, I'm not saying that your job isn't a part of your purpose. I'm saying your purpose is not laborious. It's not the labor of your life that is mandatory to create the dynamics of feeding hungry children and putting a roof over people's head. Your, your purpose is different than what you do to make a living. But the goal of today is to, to help you guys become extraordinarily fruitful and understanding what God made you to be. Because if you can live from what God made you to do, listen, if your living and your life can be the same thing, you get to live a very different life. If your life and your living are different things, your life has compartments. But if your life and your living are the same thing, if what you wake up in the morning doing, what you dream about, what wakes you up in the middle of the night, not because, oh, i got to do that tomorrow, when, when the anxiety is gone and the dreading is gone because your life is uniquely your life and you're living it before the Lord with purpose, it's just, it's just a much better way to live. Somebody say Amen. So we've looked at different ways in the gift. We talked about we can see a long ways off. That's our, our vision that God gave us the ability to see a long ways off. We talked about the, uh, the, the map, the Google map thing that told me that the best church in the area was a, a United Brethren Church in Davisburg last week, which is mortifying. Let me just do it. Can we do that again right now real quick? I kid you not. 20 times I've asked my phone, what's the best church in Fenton? And it always says Freedom Center Church. I did it last week. It said the United Brethren Church in Davisburg. You guys want to do it again? Just for fun. Hey, Siri. What's the best church in Fenton, Michigan? The highest rated one I found is the Wesleyan Church on Main Street. <laughs> <laughs> this mess is brought to you by the Wesleyan Church in Davisburg, 
Michigan, yeah. I've done that how many times this week, standing right here at the same time? Uh, and the last thing we're going to talk about, and this is today, is really instead of looking a long ways away or getting a map from some demon-possessed piece of technology, that, that what we're going to do is take a really good close look at ourselves, a, a, a glimpse into who we are. Um, telescopes, binoculars, they have, they have a great effect. They can see things from a long ways away. But how many guys know sometimes we don't need to look farther away? We actually need to look closer closer and deeper inside of ourselves. So uh, I want to share with you what is basically the core understanding of our discipleship model for the last 25 years, but really in my life for the last 30 years. This came out of uh, what appeared to be an accident. How many of you guys know what a divine accident is? It, it, it didn't seem like much, but it changed everything, a divine accident. We're on a ski retreat. We're in the Apache White Mountains in Arizona, and we've got 30-ish kids with us. And I thought, you know, over three days, I'd like to have significant quality time with each of the students. The longest and oldest ski lift at, at the, uh, the Apache White Mountain Ski Resort is a 20-minute lift. It's only a two-person chair. The slowest chair is the longest chair. I don't know why that is. I think it was the first one. It goes all the way to the top of the mountain, 5,000 feet up to 10,000 feet. So you go a mile almost in altitude. It takes 20 minutes to get from the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill. And this is what I did with every student unbeknownst to them. As soon as our skis left the, left the snow and now we're up in the air, I turned to them immediately before the conversation go anywhere else. And I said, I want to ask you a question. Ten years from now, I run into you at the mall, and I ask you, how are you doing? And you say, Jim, I am living the life of my dreams. I, my life is beyond wonderful. I am so happy. I said, tell me about that life. What's that look like? Are you married? Are you single? Do you have a dog? Are you college educated? Do you have four kids? Do you have a white picket fence? Is your first name doctor? Is your first name pastor? Is your first name missionary? Is your first name Bubba? I, you know what I mean? Like, what? tell me about that. And I would listen for 20 minutes as they would talk about themselves. And I loved them. Like, I, I already know I'm going to be. I'm going to be a colonel in the United States Air Force. My mission is to, and the next kid would be like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a housewife. I just love babies. I can't wait to have 12 of them. I'm thinking of converting to Mormonism so I can just have as many as I want to and no one will judge me. And, and you know, but the one that I enjoyed the most is the one we're talking about today, and that is when I, this, I say, what is it? And they just looked at me like, I, like you're speaking Portuguese. I have no idea. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with my life. So my plan is to spend $25,000 a year of my parents' money to go to something called college. I'm going to get horribly in debt, um, and I'm going to get a degree probably in something I don't care about because about, what, 60% of degrees are not used in the workforce. That's, you get a degree, but you don't use it. But everybody's, you know, said you've got to go to college, so they go to college. And, and a lot of kids, instead of going to college to find themselves, actually went to college and lost their faith. And so I, I said, you know, I, if you don't know what you're going to be, what, what were some of the questions I could ask? And so we ended up with three questions. We'll talk about that today. But here's five statements and then three, three questions. I, I want this. I want you to hear this. I want you to take pictures of this. I want you to take notes on this. If, if I could have one wish, it's that we, every Sunday I got up there and I got to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and people would be saved. But the second sermon I'd have to preach would be this one. The gospel of Jesus Christ to be saved. What did God save you from? But this one is what do you think God saved you for? Why, why do you think he gave you eternal life here, not there? Why do you think that as soon as you believed in Jesus, God loves the world, he gives his son, whoever believes in him gets eternal life, not someday, but whoever believes in him gets eternal life here and now. So what do you think God saved you for? Why do you think you're still on this planet? What is your assignment, what you're supposed to do? Here's statement number one. You ready? Everybody has a why. Say it with me. Everyone has a why. And the why is just your, your purpose. Paul says it this way. Um, uh, in, a, in a weird sort of underlined, I guess he doesn't mean certain things here. I don't know. It's been crossed out. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I think there's a filter maybe over this, guys, a box of some sort. No? Does the next one have it? 
Oh, good. It's going to be here all day. Good. For God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, okay, better. Don't ask questions. Are you clapping for me? I'll take credit for that. I didn't fix it, but I yelled at him. Does that matter? No? All right. Congratulations. Good job. So again, and we say this quite a bit, but please hear my heart. Like before there was a you, there was a reason for you. And, and, and I don't know why this is so important to me that, that you get this. But God didn't have uh, you first in his heart and in his head. And they go, okay, well, they're going to need a garden or something, so I'll make a garden. There, there was a garden, and then Adam came into it. There was a need, and then Eve came into it as a gift. There is a purpose for your life, and you've got to hear me. You are not some quarter-inch socket looking for a quarter-inch bolt that doesn't exist. Before there was you, there was a reason for you in God's heart. You, I don't care how you got here. I don't care if daddy didn't love mommy. I don't care if mommy, and I do care, but you know what I'm saying? It's irrelevant to this topic right now. How you got here is just evidence that God has something for you to do. God doesn't waste. God doesn't create extras. Everything has a purpose, everything has a reason, everything has a place, everything has a time, everything has a purpose, and you do too. In advance, in advance. Second statement is this. Those who haven't found their why haven't found their way. And this is, this is fairly common. I was 29 years old before I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. I used to drive Dina crazy. She said, well, what are you going to do? Are you a youth pastor? I think so, but you know, at some point they're going to start calling me sir. I won't be able to do the all-nighters anymore. Uh, you know, maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do that. And she's like, Jim, you know, my, my commandment from the Lord is submission. Your commandment is just find a stinking mission because I'm, I'm following you like, hey, we're running 20 miles an hour. This is great. Where are we going? Absolutely no place. When do we get off the treadmill and actually go someplace? I don't know. When I find the opportunity. How many guys know that on the disc assessment, I'm an I? She's a D. There's going to be a problem, right? She is the dominant leader. I'm the like, hey, it's a party. How many guys know that every day is the 4th of July in America? Every day is Christmas. She's like, and I got to wrap this, and I got to buy this, and I got to budget this, right? It's a lot of fun. So, but I'll tell you this, guys. People that haven't found their why, they're not bad people at all, but they will grow a dissatisfaction in their heart the older they get. There'd be a growing dissatisfaction even in Christianity because a Christianity that tells me what to do and what not to do but never tells me who I am and then releases me to be that will grow unsatisfying. Somewhere during the holiness movement, we decided Christianity and and what a Christian really was is someone who didn't do these three things and did these two things. And, And Christianity is not about not doing the don'ts or doing the do's. Christianity is about following Christ. If you know who he is, then you get to figure out who you are. If you know who you are, you get to be that for him. Do you see the cycle, how that works? If I know him, he's going to teach me about me. And if I know who he is and who I am, I get to be like him in my generation or Christ-like or Christian. Those who don't know who they are, and and I want to say this very carefully because I'm trying to actually settle something, not inflame something, but but do you remember, anybody remember General Hospital back in the days of Luke and Laura and Robert Scorpio? Thank you. And is that you, John? All right, thank you for being man enough to admit that we were both little girls. You know what I mean? At one point in our, in our lives. Don't judge us. It was before the Hallmark Channel. We had no options. But I think the reason we watch these stories of intrigue and cheating and scandal, and I'm not Robert Scorpio. I'm his evil twin, Bob Scorpio. And you know what I mean? Like, it's because we, inside of our hearts, there's this desire for something that's bigger than normal. Inside of our hearts, whether it's a Marvel movie today or it's a soap opera back in the 80s, 
There's something in our hearts that realizes life is supposed to be more than nine to five black coffee, turn in your homework, turn in the report, get your quota life. There's something in us that goes, there's a dreamer inside of me that's gone to sleep because of the expectations of culture around me. And I, I'm not living a dream. I'm just kind of surviving a season. So those of us that don't know our why are far more likely to engage in the dramatic things of which we have no influence or control. One of the reasons we like the salacious is because our life is supposed to be a daring risk. And if we won't take it, we'll just become slacktivists for whatever cause blows our way. And if we can find somebody that should think what we think and we find them that they don't, then beating them up feels like victory. And yet we're supposed to be defeating the devil, not our brethren. And yet we're supposed to be defeating darkness with light, not the words of darkness, the acts of darkness, the methodology of darkness. Could somebody say amen and don't leave me up here? Okay. So everybody online, they all just agree with me. So write all your comments to congregation at Freedom Center, right? They, these people tend to leave jobs, tend to leave churches, tend to leave relationships with the same thought of, I'm just not satisfied here. I'm just, I'm just not happy here. I'm just not, it just hasn't scratched every itch. Because if you look to a church to be your savior, you'll be disappointed. And if you look to a person to be your completer, you'll be disappointed. And if you look at any lesser cause than the cause for which you were created, you'll be disappointed. Life is not supposed to be disappointing. Life is supposed to be hard. Life is supposed to be tough. Life is supposed to require bravery and courage. But life is supposed to be worth it. And when I get done with my life and I'm laying on my deathbed surrounded by my 47 great-great-great-great-grandchildren and the holograms of them that are all over the world preaching the gospel, they're in that room with Papa, Grampy, Snore Muffin, whatever they call me at that point. You know what I mean? I, snore Muffin, where did that even come from? You know what I mean? Probably, I know where the muffin came from, but the snore thing was weird, right? Snort monster. Um, man, I, I just, I want to leave this earth knowing I checked the very last box of my assignment. You hear me? And I want that for you too. Third truth is this. God has hidden the clues uh, of our why. It, it, they're for us. It's hidden, hidden them from us. He's hidden them for us. And they're, they're a place we'll always have. We'll come back to that in our three questions. The fourth truth is this. Those who find their way and live from it, man, do they get to live a different life. <laughs> Those who don't, man, do they waste the only life they'll ever be given. The parable of the talents should be terrifying and wonderful depending on which side of that issue you're on. If the side of the issue is I, I know what God has given to me, what he's entrusted to me, what I'm to invest, it's very different than the, than the person that just doesn't. The person that doesn't runs 20 miles an hour in a circle. They're running just like the people that have a purpose, but they're not going anywhere. And the places they are going don't seem to make a difference. Now, I Already I can hear kind of this pushback where it's like, hey, you know, that's cool for you because you're a young man, you're in your 50s, you know. How many of you guys know 50s are young? So if you're like, well, I'm 75, I don't know, man, it's, it's a, I, my life's kind of, I'm just kind of, you know, coasting until the plane lands, trying not to hit mountains on the way down. I'm telling you, that I, I led somebody 77 years old through this process, the three questions, and at the end of the three questions, she had a new direction for her life and a new dream. I've, I've led people that are 13, 12, 10-year-olds. My children grew up on car trips, not saying, I spy with my little eyes something red, and they had to find the red. I'd say, what do you think you're going to be? My son, J.D., you're, you know him as Pastor J.D., my mini-me, who's my maxi-me. He, uh, I, I, every time the Switchfoot song came on, this is your life, or who you want to be, I'd say, J.D., this is your life, man. Are you, Dad, shut up. Every time the song comes on, to this day, what is he, like 47 now or something? Like, we'll be down the road, Switchfoot will come on. I'll say, JD's like, Dad, I can hear your voice in my head. I'm like, good, good, good. Those who find their way and live for it. Why did I pour it into my kids? 
Why'd I pour into those students? Why am I pouring into you? Because if you know who you are, you get to live an abundant life. I didn't say a rich one. I didn't say a famous one. I didn't say a successful one, but one that makes sense in your soul that God gave you. Something that, that connects with your very being, that, that melody you were created to sing. Fifth one is this. One of the key roles of leadership in the body of Christ is to help people discover who they are and then prepare them and then release them to live their purpose. Uh, one of the mistakes we made uh, in the last 30 years of church growth is we decided the bigger was actually better. The bigger it was, the more people, the more money, the more votes, the more influence, the more whatever. And there's an element of, of truth to that to some degree, but here's the problem. If, if me as the pastor, if I as the pastor use you to, to make me successful, it's actually the opposite of what Jesus intended the church to be and the pastor to do. You are not my, I'm sorry, I, how do I say it? I don't use you to succeed. You're supposed to use me to succeed. My role in your life is to help you find who you are. It says this in Proverbs chapter 20. It says, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. You know, what's down there? I don't know. You know, if you're going across deep water, you can't see the bottom. What's down there? We don't know. The purposes of a person's heart as God created them. Man, those are deep waters. But one who has insight draws them out. Paul says it this way. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. For what reason? Everybody read it with me. To equip his people for what? Works of service. So, Ephesians 2.10, two chapters before that, God, you're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's the same word, ergos. It's the same. I'm to equip you for the good works God created you for. That's my job. That's the job of the pastoral gifting as well as the evangelistic gifting, the apostolic gifting, the prophetic gifting, the teaching gifting. Everything that, that God has made a, an office in the body of Christ is not to use you for its success. It's for you to use it for your success. That make sense? So there's, here's the huge question then that we have to ask this morning is how do we help people to discover their why? When I first started doing this with people on ski lifts 30 years ago, it took all 20 minutes to get to the top and to even begin to crack the service, to start the conversations, to begin to hear the dreams. But after 30 years, I've reduced it to three questions that all start with a letter P. How many guys appreciate it when they're memorable? Just let it all start with something or a rhyme or, or make the word dog or something, right? So I can remember these things. Here it is. Number one question is this, and I want you not only to ask yourself this, hear my heart. You're here on, on a rainy Sunday morning in the middle of a pandemic where a quarter of the people called out today because they had to be quarantined. I assume you're supposed to be here. I, I assume you're not here because, well, I just feel like going to church in the middle of a pandemic on a rainy day. Let's go to the early service just to make it harder. Let's make it darn near impossible. So I assume I'm speaking to core people that want to be here who have an influence in the world around them. Somebody say amen. I want you to ask yourself this question, but I also want you to get used to asking people this question. One of the mistakes we have to be very careful of is not just to say what's your testimony. What did, what did God save you from? That's a wonderful question. has a wonderful answer. But beyond what did God save you from is what did God save you for? And these are the questions because people will grow dissatisfied with the Christianity that tells them to stop smoking, stop chewing, and stop running with girls that do, but never tells them why and who they are. So passion. What, what is it that thrills you? What thrills you? When, when you're done doing the things you have to do, what are the things you do that you want to do? My dad was a, a wonderful engineer 
There are parts of cars. I just pointed out yesterday, Dean and I were in traffic, and I saw an F-150, and the way the door is shaped, that door shape first was on the Ford Taurus. My dad was the lead engineer of eight people that conceived the Taurus project, one Motor Trend Car of the Year the next three years in a row because of its quietness, and they, they stole from air, uh, airplane engineering and all that kind of stuff. I saw that. Man, that's great. But can I tell you something? My, my dad is gone now. He's passed away. I'm not, I, I'm not speaking ill of, of the dead. If he could resurrect and be honest with you, I think he'd tell you what I'm about to tell you he hated being an engineer you know my dad loved to do he loved to work in the yard he'd come home he'd take that stupid suit off that stupid tie he'd take the stupid pocket protector out of his stupid dress shirt take off his stupid dress shirt leave his stupid undershirt on put on a pair of old beat up shorts he grabbed the am battery powered radio and a giant jug of what i thought was water And he'd listen to, uh, oh, what was the longtime Tigers announcer? Ernie. He'd listen to Ernie Harwell call the Tigers games, and he'd build rock walls, and he'd plant gardens and beds, and he'd, he'd get on his Ford tractor, and he'd dig holes and expand the driveway. My dad was a landscaper who lived his life as an engineer because his parents expected him to have a better life than what a guy who worked with his hands could possibly have. My dad and many other people drink because of the pain of the reality of their life. It's not because their life is fulfilled that they get to drink now. It's because the reality of their life, they can't envision something that has less pain in it than going uh, back to work the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. It's hopeless. It destroyed his soul. It destroyed his marriage. And I believe that my dad was created to, to make gardens like the Garden of Eden. When my dad landscaped, it was amazing. It was his passion. You hear what I'm saying? Now, he lived in Bloomfield Hills on a five-acre equestrian estate, and it was manicured and tennis courts and swimming pools and all that stuff. But he was a prisoner in the life that it created, that his parents' expectations created for him, and, and he wasn't happy there. Does this make sense? I think my dad would have been happier covered in mud. I think he'd have lived longer, too, because he wouldn't have been drinking the igloo cooler and, you know, trying to pound calories to get through the pain of a day. And I want, just hear me. You have a passion inside of you that makes you uniquely you. I'm not, I'm not talking about your hobbies. I love to deer hunt. Can I make a living out of it? Some do. It's not a very good one, but, but some do. And if you're supposed to do that and have an outdoor ministry, whatever, but I'm not talking about your hobbies. I'm talking about your passion. I have a passion to do what I do. I have a passion to teach you what I'm teaching you right now. I have a passion to stand right here, right now, and communicate to people that are online or in the room and say to you, I believe that God has a plan for your life. It's a passion. I wake up every morning and go, what day is it? What day is it? Oh, crud, it's Saturday. What day is it? Oh, it's Monday. No wonder I feel hungover. What day is it? It's Sunday. It's Sunday. It's Sunday. 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 The one day of the week that makes me make sense. Second question, get it in your heart. What's your pain? If you can look people in the eye and say, what really kills you? What thrills you? What's your passion? What kills you? What's your pain? What is it that, that you just, if you could eradicate anything from the face of the earth, that would be the one thing you get rid of. I'm telling you guys, we've done a great disservice as Americans to one another by removing every semblance of pain. We can just turn the channel. We can just, you know, defriend the person. We can just move into the next room. We have so many options. We, we remove our heart from pain. And I will say this, not all pain is good pain. If you've ever had a toothache, you know, all pain is not good pain. But there is good pain. If that was a stove and this is my hand, pain tells me something's wrong, where it's located, so I can do something about it. Pain's actually a gift from God. There's bad pain. There's good pain. But today I want to talk about this for just a moment. There's God pain. I'm in Haiti and you probably know this story, but there's a little girl that's extraordinarily sick, and I spent just a few minutes with her that changed my life. She was tinier than the other kids. 
she was malnourished, her belly was bloated, her hair had, was, had the follicles or the, the stuff that creates the pigment in the hair. When the hair turns red, the body's eating itself. She's starving. And we're handing out candies. And I know this little girl can have a candy. And she's kind of got that million-mile stare. And she's just kind of, she's just barely there. She's going back and forth in the shade, sitting in this. And she's maybe about that big. She's just a little child. And I sat down next to her because I was concerned about her. And I didn't want anybody to feed her candy. Because, hey, little girl, have a piece of candy. You feed candy to a starving child, you can, you can kill them. So I sat there just kind of protecting her. And as I put my hand next to her hand, you don't just walk up and say, come here, baby doll. She's an orphan. No one, no one knows where she came from. Nobody knows. So I just, I sat down next to her. I put my hand down. So my pinky was almost touching her pinky. And in about 30 seconds, she reached over and put her hand on top of mine. And I looked at her and she looked at me. And I did one of these. And she looked at me and she trusted me and she did one of these back and I picked her up. It's, it's an amazing moment. It's, I, I don't, if you're not there and you can't smell the garbage and you can't, you can't hear the chaos of Haitian kids getting candy is like taking a loaf of bread to a seagull convention. It's just, rah, rah, mine, mine, you know. I picked her up, I waded in the sea of them and I got one little piece of candy and I bit a piece off and I put it in her mouth. Like, that's gross. It's like, it's Haiti. My mouth was the cleanest thing for 100 miles in any direction, you know. I put it and she sucked on and she kind of brightened up a little bit. And I did that three or four times until she got a little, just a little juice of a little starburst in her mouth, you know. And then she put her head on my chest and she fell asleep. And it broke my heart, and I fell in love, and that's why we're feeding a million kids in Haiti. Before that day, feeding kids in Haiti was a cause. I was aware of the cause. I was aware of Convoy of Hope. But that day when my heart was broken by that child's malnutrition, it, it's no longer a cause. It's a, it's a crusade. It's, um, it's something for which I'm willing to sacrifice, to serve, to collect, to network, to beg, we ran 150 miles across the state of Michigan for my 50th birthday just to bring awareness to it. Some of you guys started following and running. Josh ran 150 miles. Other people ran 150 miles. I think we had, was it Jim Parkin skateboarded 150 miles on a skateboard? His, his right leg looks like Popeye and his left leg looks like olive oil. It's weird, you know, because he's, he's having to, you know. I'm just telling you, pain, the greatest things you'll ever do will not because you're passionate. The greatest things you'll ever do is because you're in pain. Not an orphanage on the planet today that happened because somebody wanted to make a profit. Because somebody was passionate about kids. There's a pain. The, the, the leper colonies, the missions, the, the things that we do and we're in pain are, are ten times greater and they, they lack the luxury of quitting. Like, like when I'm passionate about something and it succeeds, I've, my goal is complete. If I'm passionate about something and it doesn't succeed, well, it probably wasn't God. I'm discouraged. I don't feel like it. But when you're in pain, you no longer have the luxury of ceasing activity. If that was a building and my grandchildren were in it and it was on fire, I don't care how many calendar-worthy firemen with their biceps and triceps stand between me and there, I will either kill them all to get to my grandchildren or they'll have to knock me out or kill me to stop me. But the pain of my children, my grandchildren being in danger, well, I don't have the luxury of going, well, they seem bigger than I am. It seems too hard. I tried and he said no. I will kill them or be killed in the process of getting inside of that burning building to save my grandkids. That makes sense? That's not passion. Are you guys still here? That's pain. And if you don't know what your pain is, currently you're missing one of the greatest motivators for your genius, one of the greatest motivators for your success. What is your passion? 
What is your pain? What thrills you? What kills you? The last one is proficiency. Like Sidney Grace, who's about to play piano. Sidney just, just gets up and grabs a trombone and can play it. It's sickening. You know what I mean? I think I'll grab a, you know, sousaphone in honor of John Philip Sousa and, and just play it. She's going to go sit behind the piano. And the reason that she has talent and I don't is in heaven. When we were being created before we were knitting our mother's womb, she got in line twice. By the time I got there, there was nothing left. So be, be mad at her. But we have different gifts. I, I really love standing up talking in front of people. I've done it my entire educational career. Look, ask any of my teachers. They will say, Jim has a gift of speaking in classrooms. All the report cards told my parents about my gift. <laughs> and they'd leave the room. I'd get up and do a stand-up you know, comedian routine, and it was fun. It was just the way it was. Teacher's gone. Who's going to be in charge? Weekend. <laughs> Good thing JD didn't get that. So that comes naturally to me. Music comes naturally to her. What comes naturally to you? Because honestly, if I were to go back behind the piano and start playing, I'd be nervous about it. Maybe if you were to stand up here and try to talk about something, you'd be nervous about it. But I mean, there are people that gather in this room. I think about Chris Goltz, who just like opens bodies with a scalpel and moves things around, throws stuff in a garbage can, then sews them back up again. Like that would make me nervous. Every time I've done that, it's been really troubling to me. I did it to a frog in seventh grade. I, it really bothered me the whole time. Did it to a cat my freshman year of high school in, in class, not in the garage, just so you know, you're like, oh, oh. Yeah, me and Jeffrey Dahmer were hanging out the other day, and I guess, no. But we have different, like, like we're just really great at things because God created all of us to be really great at something. Now, look what happens, guys. If you get your passion, your pain, and your proficiency, and you kind of know what those things are. I'm passionate about these three things. Man, there's two things that just cause me to weep if I were to think about them for very long. Just, I, I long for them. I want them to happen. I want, I want this to be eradicated from the planet. Proficiency. Man, I can talk to people about that. I can, whatever that is. And you take those three things and you do this with them, where you overlap them. Your passion, pain, proficiency. Look what happens. Right in the middle, where all those things overlap, is something we just, we call the sweet spot. My goal is sometime during our relationship with you here at Freedom Center Church, is that we get to ask, whether it's through the administrative department, whether it's through the youth ministry leadership team, whether it's in children's ministry this morning where Pastor Avery's doing the same thing with our kids. My, my prayer is that sometime we get to expose you to the fact that there is a sweet spot for your life in Christ. I don't know what, the, what it pays. I don't know if anybody knows about it. I don't know if you'll be famous. I don't know if you'll be rich. I don't know if you'll be able to have a, a cabin up north and go deer hunting with your uncles. And I don't know. But I know this. If you live there, all those other things fade away and they don't matter. I also know this, that if that's where you live, you'll be better at it than anybody else who's doing their imitation of somebody who belongs there. And the chance of you succeeding in those other ways is, is far greater than if you're doing an imitation of an engineer when you were born to be a landscaper, a landscape artist, a master of building rock walls and planting beds. I mean, my dad was like that. You have a sweet spot. I know because Ephesians 2.10 tells me that you're his masterpiece. That you have a destiny. He created you because there's something that needs to be done, and he created you to be the one honored to do it. So he's planted inside of you things that are passionate, things that are in pain right now, and just gifts that make you better at things. I want you to know this. Our passion is to lead people to God. Our church, man, our passion is to lead people to God. Our pain is to lead people to God, and our proficiency is to lead people to God. But beyond leading people to God, we have to then lead them to themselves. Otherwise, we, we create something. It's Christianity with a small c. Does that make sense? It's not, it's not, it's not the Jesus Christianity. It's the, the orthodoxy, the, the political, the, the moral, the ethical. 
and I think we are supposed to be involved in some of those areas, but I also think this, that I can be involved in all of those areas as a fake, as an imitator, as a passionless troll trying to find something that connects passionately or painfully to my heart. How many of you guys know that if your passion or your pain only expresses itself in disdain and anger, you probably haven't found it yet. You're probably still searching for it, and that's okay. 29 years old, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure that all my changes are over with. I, I don't foresee any future where I'm not, you know, standing here or there or you know, wherever, God, wherever we move the platform next, you know what I mean? Standing in front of that monitor and this group of people telling them about Jesus. I, I have no goals or no aspirations to go farther or higher than that. I would, I would die satisfied having doing it as long as I could possibly do it, but I've lived long enough to know that sometimes God connects other dots to other things. So we're planning churches and we're involved in district work and we're, you know, in my heart, I, people said, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I said, I think as long as I can do it from Passion in the Freedom Center, I'll do it, right? I'm sorry, not the Freedom Center. Freedom Center Church. One of these days I'll learn the name of the ministry that God's put me in that I'm passionate because and, and, I'm causing you pain now. I'm not supposed to be doing that. I, I'll just say this, guys. Um, we're not going to ask you to volunteer very often. If you've been here a long time, you've never seen in the bulletin. We need three more nursery workers this morning. If you don't volunteer in the nursery, we're going to make volunteer. It's obligatory now. You put your kid in the nursery, you've got to work one Sunday a month. You know why we don't do that? Because we don't want people who aren't passionate about children working with children. You know, if you had to put a teenager, we need you to work with teenagers. Like, oh, man, I'd rather gargle razor blades and lemon juice, you know? Right on. I, I get that. I get that. I, not me. I, I'm still a youth pastor. They just call me sir, you know? It takes me a lot longer to get inside than, than it does JDG. He's like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, hello. Hello, little ones. And they're like, oh, stranger danger, stranger danger, you know. But we're not going to recruit you to work at our programs. We want to know who you are. We want to raise you up to be that really well. We're not recruiting you. We actually want to release you. Go do it now. Go love those teenagers. Go love those goofy, weird, ridiculous, hormonal junior high schoolers that don't know about deodorant yet. Go love them. Go, go love them clean. Go love them well. Go love those babies in the nursery. Go love the senior citizens. Go love. So you need to help me with this. This is not just my sermon to you and now you get to go. This is, this is a thought that requires us to really take some time. Will you commit to asking yourselves questions about who you are? And if you find that you work really well with a demographic, with an age group, with a cause, feeding kids in Haiti or feeding kids in Fenton, teaching kids literacy skills in Flint, can you imagine? Can you imagine being the person that teaches a child how to read when they've been left behind and they don't know how and they're faking it, but you get to teach them how to read? Listen, guys, if they know how to read by the time they're in third grade, the world changes for them. We teach children to read until they're in third grade, and then they learn by reading from fourth grade on. So they don't learn how to read by third grade. Like you can change a person's world by teaching them that the A makes the ah sound and the A sound, Right? And, and on and on and on it goes. The, the, the world is on fire and God gave you a squirt gun. Now go do something. We are here not to entertain you, not simply to comfort you, not to bless you. We're here to point you in a direction, pull you back. So Father, I pray that today we're not asking for volunteers. We're inviting people to destiny. We're opening doors that no man can close and closing doors that no man can open. We're, we're in allegiance with you and with your purposes in people's lives. May we not look in the mirror and see something that just says American Dream on it and walks away. May we look in the mirror and see someone who looks back and says, I know who you are, man of God. 
I know who you are, woman of God. I know what your assignment is. I know what you're accountable before the Lord for. I know that I know. God, I pray for passionate, painful, proficient people to serve in this ministry and around the world and in their businesses and families. God, I, I pray you dig deep into our hearts, watching online, sitting in this room. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we would know you, we would know who we are, and we'd know our why. And we get to live it. What a great gift to know who you are. What a great gift to be an arrow going downrange towards the bullseye. And I ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I know this. If you're in this room today and you don't know the Lord, then I would say this. If you're not living from the dream that God has for you, then whose dream are you living for? Whose dream are you living from? Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe a, a wonderful you know, servant of society, like a guidance counselor gave you a test and they said you'd be a good accountant, but you sit in that cubicle and you go, man, isn't life more than this? Your journey, it's the destination is sure, but the beginning of, the, of, that, of that trip, of that adventure, of that journey, it's knowing Jesus. He's the guide. You, you can't get from here to there. I can't get from here to Sydney, Australia without some help. You can't get from where you are, if you're lost without God, to where God's life is for you without God because the center of it, your guide in it, your comforter through it, it's, it's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You're here and you don't know the Lord. Then before you go, you've got to make a decision about this. If, if your Christianity is growing less and less satisfying, I, I'm doing the do's, I'm avoiding the don'ts, but my heart is getting duller and duller and duller. Can I suggest to you, you need to reconnect with your creator and ask him some really hard questions about your life. And if you're just a, a million miles away from Jesus, from, from God's heart and your heart, there's just a chasm between the two. Nothing comes and goes back and forth. Then Jesus is the one that introduces you. No man comes to the Father but through him. If you're not right with God, just say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. Father, forgive me. Make me stand right before you. And I will serve you with everything I am and everything I have forever and ever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So glad you're here. Now go to work. Figure it out. Let me know how I can help. I'm supposed to go to Idaho tonight, but we canceled the trip. So I, I have the next four days completely free. Call me. Let's get on a ski lift a water ski lift. I don't know. Whatever's available, we'll figure it out. Stand to your feet. If you have children in children's ministry, man, we're so grateful that you trust us with your kids. Would you stink and go get them right now? Because we got to sanitize the joint and get ready for the 11 o'clock service. So any dallying or dillying causes tremendous consternation. So my staff will be dismissing you right now. Head out that door. Chris is going to help you back here as well. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Good night, Detroit.